Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Syrupcast, Mobile Syrup's Canadian tech-focused podcast. I'm Patrick O'Rourke, Mobile Syrup's Managing Editor. And across the table from me is Brad Bennett, the host with a ghost, which I'm still not entirely sure what that means. I'm back. But you said you have a ghost? I do. Well, kind of. I think so. Does According it... to Canadian TV show, oh, what's it called? Like Haunted Something or Mystery Something. Oh, the ghost in your apartment. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't yeah. come with me everywhere, but it, I keep it at home. It, it, it just uh, joins you on occasion. Yeah. Okay. When I'm lonely, cool. when I need that extra little bit, you know. I want a real life recreation of Luigi's Mansion. It's more or less what it is. When I vacuum my house, it's like me just going around corners and, and being like, ah. And the previous voice you heard was uh, Brad Shankar, the other Brad at Mobile Syrup, the original Brad. Um, he's joining us today to talk about Stadia, xCloud, and his recent trip to, I, what's it called, IO19? XO. XO. XO, XO19. IO would be Google's event. It's a Bradcast. The Bradcast. Yeah, yeah thank it, you for having me. It truly is. I'm, I'm outnumbered over here in the corner. There's too many Brads here. Um. So we have a bunch of stuff that we're going to go over today. The team has been traveling. Everyone's been working really hard. We're still in the midst of the fall hardware season. We had John at the Razor event. Trudy did a very interesting thing related to um, rural telecom infrastructure in Quebec. We may have them on the podcast, not this week, but in a future episode. But today we're going to focus on the MacBook, the new Ford Mustang Mach-E, and Stadia and xCloud. So I think the first thing we're going to talk about is the 16-inch MacBook. Yeah, it's an exciting one. And like, so you were there. Patrick went and tested out the MacBook. He held it. He typed on it. I did. Which I would say like the typing experience is like the number one new addition. There's a new screen, but I think more or less this is all about the keyboard. Am I? Yeah. So I I um I went to Apple's top secret preview event in uh, New York. It was very very um. I don't know if top secret is the right word, but they, they wanted it to be very undercover, like it, more so than other um, Apple events. I mean, when they hold it in an abandoned subway tunnel, so no one has cell service, that's pretty tough. That, that would be a sick event. I would love to go to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's Apple's new take on the MacBook Pro. I think in some ways it's the company listening to what people actually wanted. So like you said, the key thing is, is that there's a new uh, keyboard mechanism as we all know, the butterfly keyboard hasn't been great. I like the keyboard, like the way that the butterfly keyboard types. I'm cool with the low key travel. That's something that I'm fine with. I've adjusted to it. I like it. I actually, I even enjoy like the clack noise that it makes when you're typing. I was like, about to say, I love the noise. You can tell when like I'm mad at the office because I'm like hitting it a little harder. Um, but it had reliability issues, right? So they've really. I guess solved that problem in a way. Um, so the keyboard's now equipped with a scissor switch mechanism, and Apple is trying to like talk it up to be a completely different type of keyboard than that they've done before. But iFixit did a teardown. We now know that it's basically the same as the Magic Keyboard that's featured in the iMac and the iMac Pro, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's still a really nice keyboard. I found it very satisfying to type on. Would it have lower key travel than those keyboards? It, or do those ones have low key travel? I haven't touched it that one in a while. It has slightly more key travel. The um, iMac does. Yeah. Okay. The so the new the new keyboard in the 15 inch has slightly more key travel. Oh, um, more the the 16 inch has more key travel than the iMac, or is it the other way around? It's roughly the same. Okay, interesting. But it's more key travel than the MacBook Pro, like the original. Than like what we're Pro. using now. Like yeah, the what Mac. we're using now. The, the, the butterfly keys. The 15-inch and the 13-inch. Interesting. And I think the other thing that's fascinating to me, like I'll, I'll talk about some of the other stuff related to the, the new 16-inch MacBook, like the screen size. But the thing that's interesting to me is it's like right now I could not recommend anyone purchase a MacBook that isn't the 16-inch. 
because you're buying the one that doesn't have the new keyboard. And that's kind of where we've been for like the past like three, four years, unfortunately. I guess. But now there's at least a solution to the problem, right? And that's yeah. the, the 15 inch. So 16. Sorry, 16. I, that's okay. The inches are so confusing. I know. Um, but I, I like they're going to release a 13 inch. Mm-hmm. And the rumor is, is that it's not going to have minimized bezels like the 16 inch does. Um, which is a little disappointing. It'd be nice if they packed more screen real estate in there, but I also don't want the laptop itself to be bigger. And that's something that's worth noting, but the new 16 inches that the laptop is slightly larger than uh, the 15 inch by like a little bit, like a few millimeters. So if we could hold there for a second, and I know like almost everyone I feel like in the tech industry and like a lot of people are all using 13 inch computers, but I've been doing the gift guide and like looking, you know, looking at laptops and yep. Chromebooks and the, the companies keep pushing and making 15 inch and larger computers. So it, it kind of seems like to me just through this, like not even, not really research, but just sort of like, you know, browsing around, looking at all these different computers that like consumers must be buying these larger computers. People uh, must like bigger screens, which seems crazy to me because I'm all about portability. <sighs> Apple claims that the, the 16 inches for uh, like creators, creative people, creative types, mm-hmm. and that they have data that shows that that is the laptop that those people are more inclined to purchase as opposed to the 13 inch, which I guess makes sense, right? Like if you're editing photos, you're editing video, more screen real estate, screen real estate often makes that easier. Yeah, especially um, like yeah, anything that has like lots of tools or like those like yeah. drawing apps and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess the other things worth noting about it are like. Other than the bezels and the keyboard, it's the same laptop with Intel's almost latest processors. Um, but they also, it's an example of Apple listening to its user base in a way, but also certain things have still returned. So there's still USB-C. You still got to live that dongle life with this computer. Um, there's also no micro SD card slot, which is a little frustrating because the 16 inch is huge. Like it's a beefy boy. You could 100% fit an SD card slot in that thing. Yeah, um, I, I think people love the 2015 15-inch because it yeah. had like you know SD card slot, yeah, it's got tons everything. of ports, HDMI, DisplayPort. Like it was packing everything, and now we've just kind of lost all of that. So, I mean, it's a step in the right direction in some ways, um, and it's nice to see Apple basically admitting that the keyboard has been fixed. Uh, so the question that I kind of wanted to pose to you guys, and I'll talk about my experience first, is like, so I... I ha- I'm currently using the 2017 MacBook Pro 13-inch, which I believe has the second-gen butterfly keyboard, and I ran into issues. That's with like it. the one with the silicone membrane to it, try and keep dirt out. It, it, originally, it didn't, and then I took it to Apple as part of the keyboard replacement program, and I got the third-gen one that has the silicone membrane in uh, it. Okay, okay. Um, and I haven't had any issues since, but I know there's reports online that that hasn't really solved the problem. Um, the keyboard's been fine for me since then. Yeah. But I think Apple also replaced this because it wasn't just the reliability issues. A lot of people really didn't like it. And Brad Shankar, I know you recently had some issues with your laptop, but yours was the original MacBook. I like, want to say we had, because I had the same one before what I have now, and I want to say it was twenty early 2016 MacBook. 2016. Yeah, the one I had was 2016. Yeah. So do you want to just explain kind of what happened to you with that keyboard? Sure, yeah. Um, I got it when I started here, so that was early 2017. Like we said, it was a 2016 model. Um, So I've written about 3,000 articles on it at this point, so it's not like I didn't get a lot of use out of it, but basically the uh, keys were starting to, like, wear away. Um, Like, you could still use them, but, like, the letters on them were fading and the black on each key was fading to the point where you could see through it like it was translucent, like right, uh, transparent, like right in, um, right underneath. So you could That's see crazy. like all the little like tech in it, um, which is really weird. Uh, and then recently the down key um, on my trip, which we'll get to later, um, fell off. So that doesn't work either, which is a little frustrating, you know, when you're writing big reviews, especially or reading articles and you're trying to go up and down and make edits or whatever, and the down key isn't working. So I'm now using a 2019 MacBook uh, Air. Yeah. Yeah, MacBook Air. Um, And that's great. But yeah, a a little bit of a growing pains with the old one. Did you run into issues? I had Yeah, so I had the MacBook, uh, the same one that Brad had, 
And yeah, I think it was like, if I look down, I want to say my A key and my right shift key were wearing out. And the A key was like gone. Like you couldn't read the A anymore. It's like all the black paint was like chipped away. Um, and the shift key was starting to have light shine through as the like paint, I guess, is what it must be. It was like chipping away. Yeah, the same thing. Um, was that a MacBook? Like the, the small guy was that? Yeah, the 12 That was a MacBook specific issue, I think. Because I didn't I have that so. happen. Yeah, I've never seen it happen to anyone else. Although, I mean, I feel like I've seen it on like older MacBook Airs and stuff. I think it, it just happens. Maybe it maybe it's just like a Brad issue. Who knows? But <laughs> it only affects Brads. Only yeah. Brads get the cool see-through keys. Um, but yeah, I had that. And then like every once in a while, yeah, like I would get like a shift key that would be like it would get like mushy and like stuck down and I'd be like hitting this like weird key feel for like a day and a half and whatever was under there would like yeah. work its way out or I would shake it and blow dust at it. Or not blow dust at it, blow air at it to blow the dust away. Um, so I had like some issues nothing ever as bad as what you were experiencing i had had keys dying all the time yeah the i believe the 2017 had the second gen um just like keys would die and it would be really hard to write and the only other thing i would mention on top of that is i've been using this i want to say like 2016 or 17 pro 13 inch um and i don't think it's a hand-me-down too and i don't think that igor who who passed it down to me ever had any issues uh, not that i remember but this one, I don't. Think I don't. He did. I don't think he did. If he did, he didn't. He didn't mention yeah. them. And I feel like um, he would have. Yeah, for for sure. He was very particular about uh, his tech devices, so I'm sure he would have been vocal about it. Mm. So it's kind of it's all you know. It's made its way through like two people now, and uh, so far no issues with that one. So it seems like super hit and miss. But the fact is, like you're paying however much two grand more or less for these laptops that you shouldn't be having these issues and then paying to fix them when these issues arise. Well, the, the keyboards were. Uh, I think it's like a three-year program for the replacement. But and wasn't that only on very specific models? No, it was on every single one except for, uh, I think, some of the earlier generations of the original MacBook. Like okay. the, I think. Like the MacBook 12-inch. Yeah, the 12-inch. The, yeah. the fanless one that you love so much. Oh, it was a beautiful machine. So it sounds like the Mac and you, by extension, are haunted by Igor's ghost. <laughs> yeah, I, I have ghosts all over, honestly. Like, I, there's shadows creeping around me <laughs> every every corner I turn. Remember, I close my eyes. It's, oh, man. So I think this is a good time uh, to move on to car stuff. But the only thing, the, the thing that I wanted to mention is just, like, the MacBook Pro line is in a really weird place right now. Yeah, that, I wanted to say that before it, we move it's on. So, it's so strange that you, like, I love Mac OS as an operating system, but I literally cannot recommend a Mac, and there is not a Mac out there like a, a Mac laptop, like a MacBook for me at this point. Yeah. Um, we know that the MacBook Pro 13-inch is going to get that new keyboard sometime soon, and I am hyped for it to arrive, but it's just a matter of when. The the rumors are early 2020, so it's probably only a couple months away. And But, like, what about the Air, you know? Like, if you're going to... If you are putting in a new keyboard, which is, like, saying yeah, that, the like, Air, the old true. keyboard didn't work really that well, we had to make a new one. Well, they're, they're not... Why are you not putting it in every... They're not saying that. But they're saying that with their actions. Yes, they're saying it with their actions, but they haven't explicitly said... Because um, the line uh, at this event was basically, like, we have two keyboards right now, and we're maintaining them both. But, like, reading between the lines, you know that that's not what's happening there's yeah. absolutely no way because why would you do that you just wouldn't uh-huh. um so the next thing we're going to talk about today is the ford mustang mach-e i know absolutely nothing about cars Ditto. at all let alone electric cars even though i did write a story about the the nissan leaf in the summertime that was mm-hmm. was kind of fun um what is this car brad so uh just to quote the joke that every single person at the Mustang event said, it's it's a new horse in the Ford stable. <laughs> Which is something I heard. Was Ford saying that? Or Everyone that was saying reporters? that. Oh, no, mostly lovely, Ford, though. Lovely, mostly lovely. Ford. But, like, the so the Mustang brand, it's pretty iconic, right? Absolutely. People love it. People hate it. But it's, like, withstood the test of time. It's but one it, of the few cars. But it's probably. always been, like, a, a sports car, correct? And this is yeah. not a sports car. Yeah, it was, like, this old, like, classic, like, American muscle car that was, like, relatively affordable compared to like high-end supercars and sports cars and stuff but then and then it you know has transgressed down the line and continues to be popular today and offers like a fun driving experience for a reasonable-ish price and you know a cool looking car and all these kinds of like things that people car enthusiasts like um 
But because it's lasted that long, I guess it's it's become iconic, like we're saying, which is why Ford decided to switch it to electric. Not really switch it to electric because the Mustang um, car and the Mustang SUV are two different cars. They so, just sort of share this like sub-Mustang branding. It's like Ford and then below that being like Mustang. So you're using the Mustang name sort of because it has brand recognition. I think so, yeah. Okay. It was like Ford has put out kind of two electric cars in the past, which one was like a retrofitted Ford Focus car, um, which didn't do, you know, you don't hear about people loving their retrofitted Ford Focus electric. It, like it, didn't, talk have, about Tesla. Um, it didn't have a lot of uh, distance from from the battery, if I remember correctly, when I, when I wrote my Leaf story. Yeah, and then there was also um, a Ford Explorer that was like electric that I think oh, was really? being used for like taxis and stuff, which apparently, according to Ford, was like really well regarded because it like stood up strongly um, to the elements and to constant use of like a that taxi. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, this time Ford kind of like there were people within Ford that like really knew electric was the future or might be the future, and they really wanted to place a big bet on it, which I think is important because all the other manufacturers are and. Upstarts like Rivian and Tesla are coming into the space and making huge waves. Um, and so they kind of started, they took Ford employees and they started like a startup within Ford. They like moved them off site to like this old brick building near an original Ford factory. And those people were just like, okay, we need to pull out all the stops to make an electric car that's going to make a splash because we need people to know that Ford is like here to, is here to stay, you know, like we're not, Ford's not fading out with gas cars. Ford is like pushing into the future and wants to continue being that ultra popular SUV truck brand. So then here we are with the Mach-E, which is like this really moderately expensive, pretty expensive, starts at like 50 grand for the lowest level trim. Um, but super nice. Like it, I, besides the obvious comparison to the Mustang where it's like, it's not really a Mustang. If you kind of like forget about that, it looks like a really cool SUV. I thought it looked really neat from yeah. the outside, at least like the pictures you took from the, the inside is super nice too. So is this car like, is this car designed for someone who wants a Tesla? Like, are they trying to go toe to toe with Tesla in terms yeah. of like, this is a luxury electric vehicle. Um, I think luxury isn't the proper word, but like upper, upper market for okay. sure. So Tesla revealed the Model Y in February, and this is like price-wise, spec-wise, competes almost directly. I think it's like one grand cheaper so in how Canada. Much, how much is it in Canada, like the starting? Uh, 50 grand roughly. 50 grand. Yeah, okay. and then it goes up to the highest level trim, the GT, with like uh, the most fun and most speed and that kind of stuff, but not the highest range. 50 grand is like three of my current car. Yeah, and like I think my mom just bought like a, a, a Volkswagen Tiguan with like, and it was like the nicest one that she ever got, or the nicest car that she ever bought. And it has like leather seats, so it's like not the basic trim, but I think that, that it was less than 52, but it's gas. So it's like, it's still the price is like kind of high to me so for that, like regular people. So in your opinion, that did they not price it correctly? Like, is that too high? Like, even in the electric space, how does that price kind of sit amongst the competition? Um, I, well, that's the kind of the issue. I think electric cars are a little more expensive than regular cars. Okay. Um, which is unfortunate because I don't know if they should be. I mean, I don't know because I don't know the breakdown of what everything costs in a car. Um, but I, I kind of wish the pricing would have been staying more stable or level with traditional gasoline-powered cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know it's you know more expensive than the Leaf. It's too expensive. It's way for, more expensive than the Leaf. For yeah, sure. it's too expensive for the federal grant, um, the five thousand dollar rebate. I guess. What is the cap for that one? Do you know? I believe forty five thousand. If the base model trim, like the lowest price, is forty five thousand dollars or less, then all the upper trims count towards the can take advantage of the five thousand okay. dollar one. So like the Tesla Model Three, which is the the mass market car has a base level trim that you can't really buy online and you wouldn't want to buy because it has a really low range, but they drop that one and they drop the range on that one to 45. So now the standard range plus, which costs like 50 something gets five grand off from the government. So the leaf that I test drove, I believe last summer, um, at the time it was priced in the range of $40,000. But when this was written, there was rebates available that would get it knock 14,000 off the price. Which makes yeah. it a little more reasonable, but that's still so, a, a pricey vehicle. Um, well, now I mean, uh, and now you in in all of Canada, you get the five grand off of the Leaf. 
Um, Quebec, I want to say, I know I'm going to butcher these, but I think Quebec is like eight grand. Every province has different only, rebate amounts. Only Quebec it's and only BC. It's only Quebec now? NBC. NBC. Okay. Yeah. And NBC's is lower. I know the Quebec. Ford government killed the Ontario one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Mustang Mach-E inside, super nice, like great Bang & Olufsen speakers, like this crazy, like nice design, like, you know, just like Tesla leather, free leather or animal free leather, I guess. Fake leather. Yeah. Pleather. Um, you know, a really, really nice infotainment system that Ford's like worked on uh, and like Ford's Canada's teams have been working on. So the infotainment system specifically, was it just a screen like in a Tesla or were there knobs and dials and stuff in there as well? Um, so it's mainly a screen like Tesla, and it's a big 15.5-inch portrait display, um, which I can't remember which Teslas have portrait displays. Some are portrait and some are landscape. I want to say the S and X are portrait, but I don't know off the top of my head exactly. Um, so it's it really like that. But interestingly enough, in like the bottom fifth, there's one giant dot. And this is really hard to explain through voice, but there's a giant dial like on the screen. Well, you wrote about this in your in your hands-on that wasn't really a hands-on but yeah, yeah i didn't get to drive it but i sat in it and i touched you got it. to experience it which is all that matters i slapped the roof and went this is a beaut <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah there's this big dial because apparently like ford when they were focus testing the touchscreen people really wanted a dial to just rip the volume up so is that for it. the dial is just for volume as far as i know yes that blows my mind but like it's it's kind of cool though like everything is you know touchscreen and and the infotainment is set up so like everything is kind of accessible on the home page or a separate okay. page um so you're just not digging through menus it's like it's either here or it's there so i'm but not volume in, i'm not into cars but i have like a lot of friends that are yeah and those that have tried a tesla their big comment was like the interior of the car seems strange to them because there are no dials, there are no buttons. There's just this screen, which I think looks sick because it's super streamlined and nice. I agree. I'm on your side for this one. One of the things that I, I was thinking when I was looking at the pictures of the interior of the Mustang is just like, it seems in a way a response to those people that don't like that look because it does have that that dial. Is that true or was that just like their focus test said that people wanted to dial for volume. Uh, from what they told me, they were like, like the story that they told is literally they were like focus testing and people were like a dial and they went and they went to their kitchen and they grabbed like a used Keurig cup and they stuck <laughs> and they it on stuck a it pencil on and they great. stuck the pencil through a piece of paper and then they were like, is this what you want? And they were like, people were like twisting it and they were like, this would be in this, in the touchscreen somewhere. And the people were like, yeah, like we just want that dial. Um, and I don't know how this will play out for them. You know, I think it's 2020 when we're going to see it, right? Is yeah, that, late 2020 okay. when the, the first edition and I want to say the select trim come out, which are two. And that's Canada, specifically in Canada, too. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you can like you can sign up online kind of. There's like a wait list. So I don't know exactly how that'll work out or how we're going to be staged along with the states. Um, but yeah, you can sign up for the wait list for free. In the states, you have to put a $500 deposit down. For here, you just get on the list for free if you want. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of other, I think other like tech related things would be the charging infrastructure, which I didn't touch on a whole lot in my hands-on because I mentioned wanted mentioned it a bit. Yeah, but I wanted to keep it like really close to the car and the experience of the car. But the charging thing is something I might write about later, but uh, they partnered with a company called Green Lots in Canada and that essentially allows them to have this like, they're calling it the Ford Pass charging network, I believe. Um, but basically there's tons of chargers that are in like the Ford navigation maps and it shows you them. And if you're on a drive, it'll be like, there's a charger here, there's a charger here. This is how much it will cost to use this, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they're really like focusing on like charging infrastructure because a couple of the hurdles that they know is like people don't trust electric cars and weather, which Ford really tried to, especially test. cold weather. Yeah. Cold weather. Well, hot as well because the AC and the heater use a lot of batteries, oh, okay. both of those things. Um, but yeah, so they're trying to get over that and then charging infrastructure and, and all that kind of stuff is something they're trying to work on. One of the most interesting experiences I had with the Leaf is like I was totally new to electric vehicles. I didn't know what chargers you could use, what chargers you couldn't use. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up going to like a local mall in Toronto because I knew there was chargers there. And I like pulled up to the Tesla charger just to like look at it and see like I didn't know if what type of ends it needed like I, I know there's different versions like there's the chad chad emo or whatever it's called and like a bunch of different ends and just mm -hmm. like the look of disdain all the tesla people sitting in their cars gave me as i rolled up in a leaf to try to charge it with the charger that obviously like i now know that doesn't work unless you have an adapter yeah um but i was also thinking about how cool it would be just to have that adapter and just show show up and like charge from a tesla <laughs> charger for yeah. another vehicle yeah i think so i mean that would be cool and like 
I think if you had an owned electric car, I think that would be almost necessary, to be honest. I would 100% buy one. Yeah, because you just, you don't ever want to be caught in a situation where you no. can't charge. And Tesla has a really, not really, a moderately prevalent charging infrastructure around eastern, not eastern, uh, southern Canada. Southern Canada. Yeah. I know we cover that quite a bit. You you mostly do that. For, mm-hmm. for that type of coverage for us is like when you, new charging infrastructure is being implemented in different areas of the country. I actually learned a lot about charging infrastructure on this trip from like other Canadian press people. And like, apparently there are issues with like, you know, getting the right amount of power to these chargers. Interesting. Yeah. Which is something that like, I mean, I'm never testing them. I'm just writing about when they come and where they come to. Um, but yeah, people were, one of these guys from, I want to say Winnipeg was like talking about how, yeah, like they, they were at an event where they were opening a new charger and the hydro company wasn't supplying it enough power. It wasn't really charging to its like potential or at all maybe. And uh, I'm like curious if that's something that's happening, happening in other areas across the country. That's interesting. So you know what else hasn't lived up to its potential? Oh, Segway. So I'm, I'm getting good at these. Um, Stadia. Uh, Google hyped the crap out of Stadia over the last little bit. But leading up to its release, I think, not the last little bit, like when it was first revealed and stuff like that, leading up to its release, I haven't really heard much about it. I haven't seen ads anywhere. I haven't seen a lot of chatter about it. Um, and that's not always a bad sign. But I think in this case, after reading your review, Brad, it certainly was. You weren't very positive about it. And you're not alone in that. There's a lot of people out there that aren't happy with it. Um, could you sort of just set the stage for some of the issues with the platform that you experienced? Sure. Uh, so just a quick uh, recap of what Stadia is. It is a game streaming service. You can stream games to uh, smartphones, currently only Pixel. At the moment, they're going to add support for other phones, uh, tablets, um, TVs through a Chromecast. Uh, or- Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Chrome browsers. Um, so, but it's not like a Netflix for games, like you might think. You have to buy games individually. Uh, and that's a big, the biggest issue with with Stadia right now, I think, is that the, the, the lineup of games is quite lackluster. Pretty much every single game on Stadia at launch has been released on other platforms either a year or multiple years ago. Um, there's only one exclusive at launch, and it's an indie game called Guilt from Tequila Works. They made the Sexy Brutale. Um, and it, based on my time playing it, it's charming enough, but one indie game is not going to sell a service. And you right? buy all these games individually, right? It's not like you pay a one-time fee and then... No, you- uh, it isn't the Netflix for games, which would have made it more enticing because because you have to buy all these games and they're all full price. Um, you're, I don't think a lot of people are going to want to pay $80 to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is kind of like the marquee game. That's the game they tested the service with, uh, made by Ubisoft Quebec. Um, I don't think people are going to want to pay $80 to play this game when they've played it on PC or Xbox One or PS4. You, you could also uh, probably pick that game up on Boxing Day or Black Friday for like 30 bucks for yeah. whatever pre-existing console you likely already own if exactly. you're interested in Stadia. There is a, a Stadia Pro subscription, which uh, is $11.99 Canadian per month, and it gives you discounts on games. Like right now, I think for a limited time, you can get Assassin's Creed Odyssey for 40 bucks with Stadia Pro, so that's half price. So that's about... I mean, it's on sale for a bit cheaper right now on Xbox, but that's about what the game usually goes for on sale, like physical uh, or digital um, copies. But uh, Stadia Pro also gives you free games um, like Destiny 2, the collection, which is like Destiny 2 plus all its expansions, and then Samurai Showdown, like a fighting game. Uh, but So kind of like PlayStation Plus and Xbox Live Gold that give you free games. But because it's so early, we don't know how consistently they're going to be adding these new games. We don't know what kind of games they're going to be adding so that's a big question mark. So ultimately, you're paying a la carte for most of these games. And like I said, a lot of them are older games. They're going to start to to get games day and date with other consoles. Um, like next year, uh, Doom Eternal, that was supposed to be come out in November. So Google was clearly hoping that would be like a Stadia launch title. Um, but now that's been delayed to, no, to March. But that'll launch day and date on Stadia as well as other systems. Cyberpunk 2077, 
starring Keanu Reeves. Um, Super anticipated game. Yes, too, right? that's a huge game uh, for a lot of people from the guys that made The Witcher 3. Uh, that's going to be day and date on Stadia and other systems. So games like that. Um, but again, I just I, I question whether people are going to want to, because you'd have to double dip if you were going to buy it on a system you already own, like PS4, Xbox One, or PC, uh, which is probably where the majority of people would want to play that a game as big and as dense as Cyberpunk, for example, or Doom Eternal even, which is a fast-paced shooter, like a Twitch shooter. You're probably not going to want to play that on a streaming service that is spotty, depending. I mean, my experience with it was pretty solid, but I also was playing in places with good internet. Um, There's people- also a lot of features missing as well, right? Yeah, uh, so they promised a lot of features at launch, uh, or in the months leading up to launch, but a lot of them aren't ready for launch. So like family sharing, you can't do that. 4K for PC is is coming. There's a bunch of social features they announced, like integration with YouTube, like you could- Some of that stuff seemed really cool. Yeah, kind of like on PS4, the share play feature where you can like share part of your game with someone else. Uh, That's kind of what they were pushing with this, like the YouTube integration, because obviously YouTube's a big thing for Google and that's not ready at launch. Uh, The Buddy Pass where you can gift uh, three months of the service to a friend, that's not available yet. So there's a lot of these features that are missing and that could have maybe alleviated a lackluster lineup uh, somewhat if you could experience these games you've already played in a different way. Like that's a big draw of the Switch. You could take it on the go uh, kind of thing. Like people are willing to double dip on Switch games sometimes because you can take it on the go. That's me. Yeah, uh, I do it too. Uh, Like with The Witcher 3, for example. But with Stadia, I just don't think people would want to do that. Uh, and because you don't even have these features to experience them in a different way, it's it's hard. It's a tough sell. They're also, it's important to note, they're launching a Stadia base subscription where you don't have to pay the monthly. Because currently at launch, the only way you can get it is $169.99 um, Premier Edition, which comes with a Stadia controller, which is mostly made in Waterloo. Fun fact. The controller's um, nice, though, right? The controller like, works really well. Yeah. yeah, I'd liken it to the Xbox One controller in terms of feel and overall, like how good it is to use. But... That's the only way to play Stadia at launch, that bundle. Uh, they're going to launch a Stadia base subscription, which lets you, you don't have to pay per month to use it. Um, you can just buy games a la carte, but that limits you to 1080p at the most. And again, you still have to buy games individually. But So that's why it's even harder to recommend Stadia at launch because the price to entry is $169.99 to start. And then obviously you have to buy games as well. It's harder to recommend it if you can't really try the service here and there. That's a pricey proposition. I feel like this launch, though, even they're calling it the official launch, right? Yeah. But I feel like this is almost like... Feels like a soft launch. Yeah, Yeah. or whatever would come after beta because, you know, like you're saying, only only founders or Premier Edition members can get in. The buddy pass isn't here. All these features are missing. This is more like... To me, it seems like Google is just like, okay, and there's no new games, like you said, which are all these huge issues for, like, a launch launch, but this seems like they're just getting ready for... A year down the line when Xbox One and PS4 are done and people are starting to look for replacements. So a good question, like Brad, you were other Brad, I'm gonna refer to you as other Brad. Sure. You were you were super hyped about Stadia, right? Because you thought that it would fit more into the way that you play games, mm-hmm. um, especially when next gen arrives. With all this in mind, are you still interested in Stadia? I think so, because, well, Brett's saying, like, there's this huge, or not huge, but this $170 uh, entry fee now. Well, by the time base Stadia launches, you could start playing games for just the cost of a game, right? Like, it's supposed to support, I want to say, Xbox One and PS4 controllers down the line. So, like, you know, I've already got that controller. I've already got a computer with Chrome browser. You know, if I want to play on my TV, I'll I'll buy a Chromecast, which is more expensive than I'd like, but not crazy. It's not $600. For seventy dollars on Black Friday, perfect. Um, but it's you know it's not like six hundred dollar Xbox too expensive or whatever that ends up being. Um, and then that way I'll be able to play all the new games for this like really low point of entry, which is what intrigues me the most. Plus, something that like is a me issue, but I think other people have this issue is like you know I'll be sitting there on like a Sunday morning and I'll be like, oh this game's on sale, I, I want to play it, like Assassin's Creed or whatever, like that looks awesome. Get it takes three hours to download, and in those three hours, I'm like, oh, I'm not doing something else. I could see that. But with yeah. Stadia, you just like buy the game, you can play right away. That is one of the best parts about it. There's yeah. no uh, updates or anything like is that. Is that controller support, like for third-party controllers from Microsoft, Sony, whatever, yeah. is that included in it now? Yeah, it is. Uh, okay. HID com- uh, compliant controllers, so cool. like your standard Bluetooth ones. 
Uh, I see what you're saying, but we were going to get to it anyway, so might as well transition into it. Uh, you, for me, you can't also really look at these things in a vacuum. Like when you can, like Stadia's launch in and of itself is already lackluster for me. And then also looking at what the competition is doing. So like, for instance, PlayStation last month cut the price of their PlayStation Now subscription service by almost half. So it's now $12.99 in Canada. It used to be 20 bucks, and they added more games to it. So you can stream more than 800 games to PS4 or PC. And a lot of those, and that is like an all-in-one Netflix subscription. So you're only paying that $12.99 per month, and you're getting all these marquee games from third-party titles as well as Sony's like vast library of exclusives. So God of War last year, game last year's game of the year. Like it has uh, PS4 games now? Yeah. Okay. And you can play them on PC as well. So you can uh so you get games like God of War, Bloodborne, Uncharted 4, Grand Theft Auto 5. Uh you're never going to get they said you're never going to get like the like when next year The Last of Us Part 2 launches. You're not going to get that day and date on PlayStation now, but still you're getting a lot. You're getting over 800 games for an all-in-one cost. Does the technology and, powering it match what Google's doing, like in no. terms of latency? Uh, it, it has been criticized a bit, but they added the feature last year to download your games. Okay, so that and that helped. you know that offsets streaming issues, right? Because yeah. you can just download it to your device. So that's just one example. Uh, of course, uh, currently and in the future, Xbox has two major services that, in my opinion, are making Stadia look a lot more lackluster. Firstly, they have Game Pass right now, which it isn't a streaming service, to be fair. So it's not a one-to-one comparison, but that is also like a Netflix-like subscription in the sense that you pay $11.99 Canadian per month and you're getting access to well over 100 games. They just add it. They confirmed that more than 50 games are being added to the service. They announced that last week. Uh, and it, and the big thing about that is they include you know, Xbox-owned games day one. So like The Outer Worlds, which is up for Game of the Year, that is free on Game Pass. Uh, all the Halo games, Gears 5, also one of the best games of the year made in Vancouver, that's on Game Pass. So, And you can do the Game Pass on Xbox One or PC. So for me, it's just, it's harder to recommend unless like the, the idea of being able to stream it with you where you go, if that's something that's super like appealing to you, I could recommend, I could see you wanting to, to dip into it. But even then, all the games are old. <laughs> Uh, but for me, it's hard to recommend when you can buy, like for instance, an Xbox One S right now is $179.99 for Black Friday, which is 120 bucks off. That's the same price pretty much as the Stadia we, we Premier saw it Edition. We cheaper too, didn't we? Yeah, it's the Source had out. it for 100 bucks. Uh, it's probably sold out by now, but obviously you, can't, console you can't stream on the go with that system. But for me, if that really is such, a, if that's not such an important thing to you, it's hard for me to not recommend and Xbox One S because the library is so great, or PS4 has some great Black Friday bundles as well. And then also what we were going to talk about, the next service that Microsoft is doing is xCloud, which is their version of game streaming, which is going to rival Stadia. That's only in preview right now in a few countries. It's coming in preview to Canada early 2020. But the big thing about xCloud is it's leveraging the vast library of Xbox games, like my, one big focus for Microsoft is carrying games over from generations. So like the Xbox One can play 360 and original Xbox games. And they've been very clear about xCloud being able to play all of the Xbox games that have ever been released. That doesn't necessarily mean that every single game will be playable, but just knowing that there's a catalog of potentially 3,500 Xbox games to be played on xCloud is already a bigger value proposition. And like just for context, xCloud is only in preview mm-hmm. and it's got more than 50 games just in preview. Stadia's launch is 22 games. So p- even in preview, xCloud has more than double the games. And then they were talking as well that they want to leverage X, uh, Game Pass into xCloud. So for sure. The idea which that, is, which is nuts. The perfect like, marriage. It's what you want. Yeah, it's, it's a very smart thinking. The idea that Hypothetically speaking, next year, Xbox Scarlet launches their next-gen Xbox console. Halo Infinite is a launch title, so and that'll launch in Game Pass, right? So imagine a situation where you have, and Halo Infinite will be on Xbox One, Scarlet, and PC. So just imagine you have any one of those three devices, maybe multiple. You can play it on your console, play it on your PC, and then when you're on the go, stream it on your phone, your whatever, to your through xCloud, and you don't have to pay an extra dime so because it's already included in a service you own, right? One of yeah. the questions I have about xCloud, like for xCloud, do I need a next-gen Xbox? Like are the games streaming from the console or are they streaming from like Azure servers in the cloud? 
so they haven't worked like announced the specifics, but like Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, has said like if you own an Xbox console, you can stream for free because that'll be your X Cloud server. And that's similar to kind of like what Sony's doing right now with the PS4, but that that's sort remote of. play. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like that. Um, PlayStation Now comes from servers. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but that that's what I think is ultimately great about Microsoft's approach is they've been very candid about the fact that XCloud is not meant to replace current gaming. It's meant to complement it. So mm-hmm. they because Microsoft's approach is all about gaming for everyone. So you can still game on PC if you want to. That's not going to go away. You can still game on Xbox if you want to. That's not going to go away. Uh, but uh, xCloud is meant to complement that, so you can stream if you want. They've been very candid about the fact that this is still very early stages, so the tech might not be there. I just appreciate that like upfront, like more refrained approach. They're not claiming this is the future of gaming like Google is over and over and over again. They're, they're being a lot more restrained. It's in an approach. option. Yeah, which I think is ultimately why it will has the potential to succeed. Uh, because of that. My question then being, like, how do you think xCloud competes with the cheapness, the potential cheapness of Stadia? Like, you think Xbox releases, or Microsoft, or whoever releases some sort of dongle like a Chromecast, so you can only be an xCloud subscriber if you don't want to buy Scarlet or whatever? Well, again, something hi- like that hypothetically speaking, if you're someone who doesn't have an Xbox or PC, from my understanding is, again, because we're probably a year out from xCloud's official launch, we don't know the specifics, but my understanding is, if you don't have either of those systems, you could subscribe to Game Pass, and every game that's available in Game Pass, you could stream via xCloud. So really, for eleven ninety nine per month... But you would month, need some sort of device. Well, yeah, then you could use your existing phone, your existing tablet, or whatever, because the idea but of what about streaming the, the is that... is what I'm more concerned about, because like, that's where I like to do most of my gaming. So I'm going <laughs> to... Well, maybe they'll, they'll support like Chromecast or, well, that's or true, Fire TV or something. You but. stream it to your iPhone and then you use AirPlay to AirPlay the game to your TV. Oh, you just double down on that. But just the idea like <laughs> on the basis level that no, you could agree. only pay eleven ninety nine for Game Pass and get the catalog of, by the time xCloud, they'll have added dozens more games. So yeah. you're looking at a catalog of probably a few hundred games for just eleven ninety nine, Or for sixteen ninety nine is Game Pass Ultimate and you get PC and Xbox one game pass i wouldn't be surprised if microsoft releases some kind of like very bare bones xbox streaming box that's probably very very simple yeah fifty dollars sixty dollar canadian thing that like you just attach to your tv Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of what i'm like curious about because i i I do think like for me i'm not someone who like games as as much as i don't know both you guys brad for sure like um the next generation to me it's just like i don't know like you know i'm not I don't game as much as I used to. Like, is it really worthwhile for me to drop as much money as Scarlet's going to cost to play the few games it's that I'll play on it? It's a huge investment, right? Yeah. Exactly. But then, you know, you look at Stadia and you're like, oh, wow. Like, if I want to play these things in, like, 4K, I drop, like, 12 bucks for three months, buy a Chromecast Ultra, which is also dual purpose in this. But sense. then you also have to buy the games individually. Yeah, but so, that way I'm only spending... To play it in yeah, 4K, I'm only spending, like, $200... Two fifty, maybe. You're not dropping five hundred, six hundred dollars on a console plus the games. Yeah. Depending on how much you game, it could be more. Cost yeah. Effective. Xbox Live, like all of those. But again, things. the Game Pass approach would offset a lot of that cost. Yeah. Depending on the game, for sure. Yeah, but I just think again, knowing that every first party Xbox game is going to be on Game Pass day and date, that alone, like even if there wasn't any third party support for Game Pass, which there is, mm-hmm. knowing that that's coming day and date already makes me more uh, optimistic for XCloud. It's worth noting that with Stadia, they they have a first-party division headed by Jade Raymond, who's from Canada. Uh, she's a Montreal game producer. She started Ubisoft Toronto, uh, worked at EA Motive in Montreal. She's heading up a, their first of multiple, they say, uh, game development studios in Montreal. So they're making on first-party exclusives just for Stadia. So it remains to be seen what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, when we did a podcast interview with the head of business development at Stadia, a few, Syrupcast, a couple months ago, he made it sound like they weren't going to focus too much on exclusives. Uh, so we don't know how far that, how much that will factor in. Um, I think what's interesting with for me with Stadia, and I mentioned in my review too, is the way that they'll differentiate gaming experiences on Stadia. Like what Jade Raymond said, because she's obviously very experienced, she's very smart. She makes me a bit more optimistic in the long term of Stadia because. They are bringing a lot of talent like her in to help with Stadia. And I think going forward, she can bring a lot of smart ideas to the table. For sure. And I think that's um, what Stadia's play is. I think it's a long-term she, game. 
that being said, Google has a long running history of canceling things. So there's a lot of skepticism. Even one of the launch developers for Stadia said there's a lot of uh, uncertainty in the gaming development community about how long Stadia will support it. So, yeah. but, but anyways, uh, one of, some of the things that Jade Raymond was talking about that interest me are how Google is going to leverage their various tech platforms into Stadia to create unique experiences. So she mentioned, for example, YouTube, obviously, a big thing for, for Google, how you could be watching a YouTube documentary on the history of gaming, for instance, and then you'll be get to a part where it's talking about Atari, and then you can pick up a Stadia controller and play through that section of the documentary because Stadia is integrated into YouTube. That'd and that's cool. really interesting. Yeah, those are That's obviously not something you could get on any other platform mm -hmm. uh, in theory. Or she mentioned, they showed at I.O. last year, Google Duplex, where someone was yeah, like yeah. the AI assistant um, booked a hair salon appointment in like a real-time, natural-sounding conversation, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And Raymond suggested that they could do that in like story-based games where they'll use Google Duplex to create AI or NPCs, like non-player characters, that give out quests, but instead of like static generic dialogue like oh go get this for me i will reward you with this they'll talk more naturally powered by google duplex so things like that are innovative for sure and if they pan out they could certainly create unique experiences so we'll have to see in the long term uh yeah stuff like that makes me a bit more optimistic again but speaking in terms of launch i'm just not too confident with stadia at the moment i think it's a good place to wrap it up um yeah Want to go for shoutouts? Who wants to go first? Yeah, I can go. I'm ready. I'm going to, you know, shout out a I game that you can't play on xCloud or Stadia or anything else except for the Nintendo Switch, Pokemon, which I've been playing a lot. Beat it last, well, beat the Championship League last night. Feeling pretty proud of myself and my team. Did you get Sword or Shield? I was Shield. I went Shield. Um, I wanted that Galarian Ponyetta, but it's really rare and I haven't seen a single one yet. Beat the whole game without it. And uh, so that's, that's my life. I have one and I have Sword. It was traded to me by my brother. Wow. I can show it to you when we're done the podcast and yeah. let you look at it. That'd be great. Is it a rapid dash yet? Uh, no, it's not. It hasn't evolved yet. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I spent so much. I think you catch it in the, like, that foggy forest area. He found it in the wild area. The wild area. Oh, yeah. The wild area is so huge to run around. It's like, I don't want to catch Pokemon. There. There's well, I, so I, much space. I can't find Farfetch'd, right? Like, yeah. Because so, I want to trade it to you and like other people as well that have the other version of the game. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on the sixth, sixth gym, just, nice. just for the record. Which one is that in your game? Do you know what it, like, type um, it is? Is that one of the ones? Because there's different ones in the games, which is kind of a fun. I did the, I think it's the fighting. Yeah, see, game. I didn't have a fighting gym. Yeah, the fighting gym is, ghost the, gym is the unique one to, to uh, Sword, I believe. Yeah. I had a ghost gym, which is run by like a, they call him a school-age kid, which everyone focuses on you being like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. But it's like, I don't know, man, this 12-year-old's running a gym. Like, how come no one's really impressed with his accomplishments? He, he just looked like he was in a band that I probably listened to when I saw ah. pictures of him. Um, other Brad, you are Other Brad, original Brad. What is your shout out? Uh, I'm going to shout out A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the movie about uh, Mr. Rogers. Um, I saw this movie at TIFF a couple of months ago, um, so it's kind of weird that it's coming out now in regular theaters. Uh, but I went in not really knowing anything about Mr. Rogers. I didn't really grow up watching his stuff, so I know like the reverence for him. But it's a it's based on a true story. This movie where it's about a Esquire journalist who's like really cynical and like he writes all these nasty smear pieces on people. He's just like a broken guy, and everyone turns him down for a feature story except Mister Rogers because Mister Rogers kind of wants to try to get to the bottom of what's wrong with this guy. And you, it find, turns out not a spoiler. You learn at the beginning of the movie like he's got a really bad relationship with his dad. So it's a very like touching, like poignant movie about like empathy and learning to forgive. And he just like he starts to like get a new perspective on life through his time with Mr. Rogers. So uh, it's just it's kind of corny to say like this is the kind of thing we need right now. You know, being kind to one another or whatever. No, but totally. We're all it, broken. It is like it was genuinely like poignant movie. Like I did tear up at the end. Uh, like it's it's really good. So I would suggest watching I'll have it. Have to check it out. I love I, Tom movies. Hanks as Mr. Rogers. Of course, he's always good. And also shout out to Matthew Reese who plays the journalist Lloyd. Um, he does a fantastic job as well. Tom Hanks' son is a rapper or was a rapper. I don't know if he's still a rapper, but at one point he was a rapper. Wow. Fun fact. That is a very fun fact. I will, you know what I'm doing the rest of the day. Don't. It's bad. It's horrible. Um, he's also very controversial. Is the name Lil Hanks? Oh, that, that'd be sick. Um, 
My shout out is to an accessory I recently requested for a gift guide, and I'll probably do a story about it. It's called the Airfly. It's a little dongle. Everyone knows I love to live the dongle life. Um, I've recently switched to just using the AirPods Pro as my headphones for everything. I use them at work. I use them at home. Um, all purposes, podcast, music, whatever, just because they're so small and I can throw them in a bag. We haven't been able to talk to you for like two weeks since you've had them. You've been in a noise-canceling bubble and no one talks to Pat anymore. An active noise-canceling bu- bubble. An active noise, correct. In the corner of the office. So this little dongle, you can plug it to any into any device that um, has a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack and doesn't support Bluetooth, and you can connect Bluetooth headphones to it. It's designed to be used on an airplane, which is really what I wanted them for, is to be able to use the AirPods Pro on an airplane and use the infotainment system rather than having to plug in a 3.5 millimeter old school pair of headphones. Um, but I've recently been using them with the Switch Lite, which doesn't support Bluetooth. find that absolutely insane. It's horrendous. It a, is. A Bluetooth chip costs no money, but in true Nintendo fashion, they didn't add that to it. Um, so it's a little bit awkward. It kind of sits on the end of the, uh, on the top of the Switch, folds down. Uh, but as long as I'm playing at home, I'm I'm totally fine with it because I'm like usually it's just sitting on my lap or whatever anyways while I'm playing. Uh, and I know there's smaller ones out there, but this one has been, at least in my experience, the most reliable that that I've tried. So it's kind of pricey. I think it's um, it's 54 US. So the interesting thing about this is I think like when I first started. Um, Samir put a thing on the gift guide that would turn old headphones into Bluetooth headphones. Oh, that's amazing. And you can see how the industry is now switched in that, like, it's been basically two years, two, a year and a bit-ish, um, where we've gone from, like, turning old headphones into Bluetooth headphones to turning old devices into devices that support Bluetooth headphones. And it's just like, imagine if you're using both these <laughs> devices together. You've got, like, an old device with a headphone jack, and you've got headphones with a jack, but you've decided to Bluetooth both them because who wants to be connected to anything but yourself? Oh. That's hilarious. Perfect. It's also 70 bucks. So like this is a very expensive solution to the ultimate first world problem. But I love gadgets and I love products that are in some ways don't really need to exist. And this one's perfect. You've been talking about it for days. So honestly, I think it'd be like a good gift for someone because the way that you love it makes me think other people will love it because like you (laughs) talk about it a lot. Um, So that's the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Servcast. You can find me on Twitter at, at Patrick underscore Rourke and of course on mobileserve.com. Original Brad, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Brad Shankar, B-R-A-D-S-H-A-N-K-A-R. You and- can usually find me at home. My at- No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my handle anywhere is pretty much at the Brad fad and then of course mobileserve.com and I recently published an article on esteemed... Uh, Pastry paper inside Timmy's.com. Oh yeah, you're an inside Timmy's reporter too. Yeah, I am I've I've I'm branching out, you know, to donut reviews. It's good. It's it's the recognition I get on the street now is kind of off the chain. Diversifying your portfolio of work. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm gonna update my LinkedIn soon and uh, hopefully just up and up from there, you know. And as always, you can find all of our content on mobileserve.com and also follow the site on Twitter and Instagram at, at mobileserve. And that's it. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.